HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Rancho Gordo, growing the best and most interesting heirloom beans available. Learn more at ranchogordo.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're spotlighting the people who prepare our meat before it reaches our plates. We hear from whole animal butchers, the brains behind a meat vending machine, California cattle ranchers, and a master of charcuterie who isn't using meat at all. It's like a smoked and grilled uh, center stock of the broccoli, and then it gets uh, finished with some mustard barbecue sauce and sauerkraut. Ranching and farming being as difficult as it is, you know, it's just one thing after another. And at some point, you just give up. I had a wild idea that if I learned butchery, maybe I could start to be kind of a link in the supply chain. Listen to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Coulter Lewis, founder and CEO of Sunday, a sustainable lawn care company that combines the best of D2C convenience with organic farming and high-tech data analysis. Sunday is a completely unique business poised to uproot a massive industry while also taking the guesswork and the toxic chemicals out of caring for your lawn. Welcome, Coulter. Thank you, Allie. Um, I, I've, been, I've been ogling... I love your font. <laughs> I like, I don't know. I'm a font gal and like, I just, I love it. I, I you know, so I've wanted to meet you for a while. Simply be, I don't have a lawn. I live in New York city, but um, to typefaces. Yeah. I do. I love your typeface. Um, so you have a lot to, um, you know, to talk about basically, you know, considering that I think the, the majority of people that listen to this are early stage founders, um, you know, people who are just trying to figure out, you know, the simple steps. It's, I was talking to someone today and she was like, you know, everyone, 
will say, you know, how to scale your ingredients. And she was like, I didn't know what that meant for the first six months people were saying it. And I was just kind of uncomfortable asking, like, we're, we're talking like early stage and what's great about you. I've been there. Yeah. A couple times. Right. And, um, so I think what's really interesting is sort of how you came to, um, I mean, you founded another company with your wife and now you're doing Sunday and I'm excited to hear kind of like what you learned and, you know, what you did a little differently. But before we get into all of that, um, just tell me a little bit about you and where you grew up and, you know, how you kind of got into uh, the startup world, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah, I think. And I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, I'm now living in Boulder, Colorado, so a big change there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as I was, I'm not sure at what point this started, but I, I kind of knew that running my own business and making something new and then building a business around it was always where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a while to get there, though. So I, <laughs> uh, you know, I was, uh, originally studied mechanical engineering. I worked in that field for some time, uh, doing high-performance automotive t- kinds of things, really geeky stuff, I would say. You are uh, not my first then- guest. <laughs> who did high performance automotive engineering? Dennis. No way, uh, really? No, yeah. The uh, his gosh, he was like guest number two, and he used to be head of operations for Bonza, and that's exactly okay. what he did. It's very, it's funny. You're my second. You know, I don't know what the <laughs> word would be, but all right, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's all good. That's that's uh, phenomenally unusual. Um, <laughs> But uh, um, so while I was doing that, though, I was also kind of moonlighting in web design and different graphic design mm-hmm. and things like that. And so um, I ended up working at a company called IDEO, which is design consultancy. Uh-huh. It's, sure. And it's a good place to kind of bring all that together. Um, and actually just a, an amazing place to work. I was exposed to just incredibly um, good communicators and, and incredibly smart people. I mean, just I feel like every day I was there, I was being pushed and learning so much. Very um, cool. And really, I, I saw that as like my opportunity to learn and understand these core disciplines I would need to, to build and run a business. Um, and I think what I ended up learning a lot was around the design side, around uh, learning how to uh, interpret what your customers need uh, and create them so like kind of special, unique that goes well beyond what they would ask for directly. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, that experience led into uh, starting Quinn Stacks with my wife. Um, and, uh, and then eventually into Sunday. Um, but really, I mean, again, like in the back of my mind, going through these different kind of career paths, it was always with this end goal in mind. So I, I guess I should be very thankful that I'm, I'm doing that now. Yeah. I mean, that it's, it's funny because, you know, I always kind of ask the question, like, what did you want to be? Um, <laughs> and founders always come up with either they were like, they were selling you know, they're used pencils to the rest of their class for like, you know, <laughs> double what they paid for them. Or they were just really into the idea of like a paper route and like owning something and doing it really well. Um, and I think you kind of have to have a little bit of both, hopefully not any sort of like a charlatan in you. But, you know, I, I like what you said about, you know, understanding what your customers need. Um, but going beyond what they would ask for um, is a really good way to put it. And so did, I mean, did Christy want to start a company with you? Like, how did you end up starting it with your wife? I think, I think she helped me get over the nerves of doing it and taking a mm-hmm. jump. She's fearless. Um, mm-hmm. 
and had this idea for for a long time of, of fixing the classic snack of microwave popcorn and just you know you read about over and over again how disastrously bad for you it is but then it would just stay in the shelf be exactly the same so right that really bugged her she's very very passionate about food and so she kind of just started taking some of these first steps and started to explore it and i think then I, then I got involved with her, and I think we both believed that we would round some corner and find a brick wall and, and be like, oh, this is why it hasn't changed. And, and right. There's no way forward. And to be honest, that fear of that brick wall actually um, was empowering because it made, yep. it made it so like all these steps you're taking forward weren't actual commitments because in the end, it wasn't going to work. Um, but it did. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and then we all of a sudden found ourselves in a position of, like, well, this is, this is now forward moving and we're in progress and we have customers and they love it. We need to keep going. So, um, I think that was our way of kind of almost fooling ourselves into starting. And when and when did you start, Quinn? And then when did you, what was the conversation like? Were you like, I want to go find a new thing. I'm kind of bored or we've gotten to this threshold where, uh, you know, I'm no longer the right man. Or was it, you know, oh my gosh, now we have a lawn and I got to go run this other thing. It was, it was kind of a lot of those things, I guess. Right. Uh, so Quinn started in 2012. Uh, and you know, we've just tooth and nail fought to, to building that brand and building into, into a national brand. Um, and as we've gone through that process, it was really kind of an amazing thing to watch, to be honest, that my wife's deep, deep passion around food and sourcing has really what's made her the right person to run that business and to lead it. Right. Um, and that, that became really, really clear at some point. Um, and you know, when I was playing a more supporting role and I think, as she grew and built a stellar team, that supporting role was less and less needed. So it, it right. made it like a really good time. It made it pretty easy for me to try something new. Um, and I think that could have happened, you know, there's a long timeline where that would have been appropriate. Uh, but this did just kind of come and hit me really hard. Um, and I had to go do it. So that, that happened too. Um, and it was and it was all a result of, of what I saw and experienced at Quinn. Um, you know, Quinn started off with this idea, let's fix microwave popcorn. And that really was about engineering and patenting a new kind of popcorn bag that has no chemical coatings for the first time and changing the format. And it really is a very specific problem we're trying to solve. But what it evolved into was really a brand about agriculture, right. about sourcing. So we spent a lot of time with our growers and farmers in the field. And we spent our whole family goes to our organic corn growers farm every year, Dave Vetter in Nebraska. Um, it just became part of our life. And so that exposure to agriculture and what that relationship can look like with mm-hmm. animals, what we're doing in our own backyards. Like when that started to crystallize and become clear to me, I just, it, you know, it had to happen. <laughs> and so um, I have one question before we move on to Sunday, because I've, I've been talking to a lot of founders that um, a lot of co-founders and, you know, at some point someone's got to be the chief a little bit, like, Mm-hmm. it's, and it's, it's, it's hard. I think, I mean, for friends or for partners to figure out, you know, when, when you've kind of taken it as far as you can with your skill set, and when you kind of need to bring in someone else who's maybe done it before. And I, I'm just, you know, not to get too personal, <laughs> but like, I would imagine that would be hard in a marriage too. Oh, th- this is a this is talked about a lot. It's not personal at this point. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're used to it. Um, and I'm 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 also I, I like talking about it because I think it's it's a very real challenge to to work with your spouse that closely. Yeah. It's like that is that intense and that much of almost a war zone at times. Um, mm-hmm. and then be able to maintain your relationship too. So I, I think that's something that we were going into it, we knew it would be difficult. And um, 
and certainly had some of those challenges, but also like try to try to be two steps ahead and try to be really thoughtful about right. our roles in the business and define kind of what our purview was and what our purview was not, uh, yep. so that we didn't cross paths too violently too often. Right. Um, and that, I think that's what that's what helped it. Um, that said, I think there are some fundamental challenges there. Every every relationship is different, right? I, I, I remember talking to someone. They're like, "Well, that'll never work." You know, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're going to get divorced. That just isn't possible. <laughs> um, and sh- and this person had actually gone through that, and so that was, was a, mm-hmm. somewhat mm-hmm. of a verified point of view. Right. Um, so I, I think everyone's different. For us, I think the challenge um, maintained there was that, like, you know, we went through the same challenges during the day, and then those challenges could, in no way, shape, or form, be go go away or suppressed in any way when we went home. Right. We'd be literally in bed talking about EDLPs. Yeah. You know, and how this off shelf deal wasn't as good as it should be. Um, so it just was 24 hours. There's no break. That's challenging. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I think, you know, it's hard enough being the founder of, a, you know, of an emerging brand and trying to keep your, your partner or your spouse kind of, you know, cause all I want to do is talk about margins at like two in the morning. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's gotten better, but at some point my partner had to be like, okay, do you think that after 10 PM, you know, obviously something like stressing, then, you know, we can talk about it, but maybe we can just like not be talking about it all the time. Um, can we put margin to bed now before yeah, we go to bed? Yeah, you know, that's, and that's I like, can you one more thing? Like when you're talking about like product margin versus gross margin, you know, I was like, I, I and, and that's when I would have the time to kind of like my brain would relax and then I would have like the big questions, you know, as opposed to just like the little kind of like boots on the ground questions. So, um, I mean, kudos to you guys. And then was it a fairly easy discussion saying like, okay, I, I think this is something that needs to happen and I'm going to go do it. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I think we were, um, the business was in a really good spot. You know, and Christy had fully, fully taken over control for a number of years at that point, really. So it was really kind of a no-brainer. Right. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, the nice thing about being a co-founder with your spouse is that deep down, the most important thing to them is that you fulfill your dreams and you go do the things you need to do. Right. And so, uh, you know, having, she knows I need to make new things and build things and, yeah. and, and do the things I need to do. So it was, there was no friction there for sure. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the thing you needed to do and, and the thing you wanted to build. Because um, for for those of you who don't know about Sunday, from my understanding, I mean, you guys hit the ground running hard. And um, it just seems like whether, I mean, just considering that like Roundup is is like the worst thing to ever happen to the world and there doesn't seem to be a lot of alternatives to sort of all those chemicals that people are putting onto their land. Um, and considering that it seems like kind of an antiquated shopping experience, you know, you go and you go to the big box store and you look in the rows of the big jugs of whatever, like you kind of deconstructed the whole thing. In my, in my, from the outside, right? So, like, the shopping experience is direct to consumer. I've gone on, you, you know, it it tells you, you know, you type in your zip code, it tells you what kind of lawn you have and what you need, all the way through, like, the fact that it's a subscription business, which is brilliant because 
it is a perfect candidate for a subscription. And, you know, and lastly, that it is more sustainable. And then the branding piece, which is like, I don't think there's been a cool new brand in lawn care in my recent memory. You just hit like six birds with one stone sustainably. You're not killing the bird. You're just, you're, <laughs> I don't know why I keep, I use that expression and I also say skin the cat and it's awful. Like I hate both of those expressions. Yeah, so need, I don't mean to say PG versions. Yeah. <laughs> right. But um, I mean, that's my impression of the business is that, and that that's all happened. Like, and you launched last year. Um, it's been, it's been an absolute wild ride. And I, I guess it'd be, probably to give context and why we changed so many things so fast. I can tell a bit of like where it came from and what that yeah. moment was like, what we were trying to fix. Um, but I think there's, there's just to preempt the story a little bit here. There are definitely downsides changing 40 variables at once. Um, yep. And that's what we did. You know, we, we had, we ripped it up and changed every single piece of the experience, the product, the buying, the uh, ingredients, everything. Um, yeah. But you know, this, this kind of, this moment came when I would, we have a house, I've got three little boys and a dog. Um, I have, you know, a wife who's incredibly passionate about agriculture. Uh, I have tons of exposure to it as well and passion too, but I always try to, you know, be very clear that there's a different plane than her passion. Um, but you know, having all of that exposure and all that context, um, I'm staying in the aisle at the uh, home improvement store looking at what you just described, which is mm -hmm. pallet racks, stacked high with pallets. And every single product is a mix of fertilizer and pesticides of some form. Um, it's an aisle that when you walk through, most people try to hold their breath. Um, yeah. and, and we're literally then taking this, we, we, you know, I bought a house cause I wanted a lawn for my kids and pets to play on. Like, that was the idea, right. like the absurdity that I was going to go poison it, um, and make it to something that was, you know, according to the EPA unsafe for, for children and pets, mm -hmm. uh, just that it hit me like, this is something that's going on here. I need to figure out what it is. I need to understand this and see if there's a way to make things better. Um, and as I dug in, like, I think a lot of times you, you see something, you're like, I really want to fix this thing. And you dig in and you start to realize that there's complexities and challenges that you didn't see before. And I always go into open mind expecting to find those things. In this case, it was really just, um, it was different than that. It was, the more I learned, the more appalling it became. Um, yeah. The more it was clear that there was also these levers to fix it. You know, I think it's really challenging when you're like, oh, this thing is really broken, but nobody cares. And that's not what people are thinking about right now. Right. Um, in this case, it was like this space was 30 years behind the consumer. Yeah. And so, you know, the 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 incredible thing I have to work with here is 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 customer values, modern customer values. Just you know, that's that's the base of which I can I can pull from to try to fix this. I don't need to convince everyone of this. Right. Um, so it's incredibly powerful. And then you know, I, I don't want to go into too many of the stats, things like that, but it is it is an unbelievable thing. So lawns add up to about 40 million acres, which makes it the third largest crop in the U.S. Um, wow. which makes it 10 times more acreage than all of the organic farms combined. Wow. So you really can't, you know, have uh, an impetus to care for or, or fix the, those environmental and human health problems that are happening in agriculture and not have this be a part of it. It has to be part of it. Yeah. And then you look at the way we treat lawns and it's really kind of the worst 1950s style um, root force agriculture and that we cover our entire properties in insecticides, pesticides, and herbicides, <laughs> just in case you might have a problem. It's all prophylactic. Right. Uh, and so what that means is that, you know, the figures vary, but it's roughly five to 10 X more pesticides per acre on a backyard than on an industrial farm. Wow. Um, so it's just crazy. Yeah. It's, 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 it's way, way out of balance. And then when you test for these things, you find all of them in the house, you find them in the bloodstreams or everywhere. So, um, 
you know, from a from a is it broken standpoint, yeah, it, there's a whole lot here that doesn't align with what people care about right now. Right. Um, and then we went through the effort of like, okay, so so now what? <laughs> what do we what do we do? Is this is this like a a, a brand with values on shelf? Um, are, you know, are we, are we kind of mirroring the existing products but just making a better for you version of it? Right. Or are we going to change more about this? And I think um, what led us to this kind of full uh, upheaval and reinvention um, was learning more about the customer and about how they relate to their law and how they care for their property. Yeah, and tell um, me a little. How did you do that? Because I think you know a lot of a lot of founders talk about knowing your customer and asking your customer questions and why do they love you and what do they need and how do you serve them and I people need to know like how, how you know. <laughs> What did what I think, did you do to answer those questions? Yeah, it, um, it's it's a lot of work. I think maybe I, I've been there too sometimes. Where you're kind of like, I wish these answers were right in front of me, then I could sort through them. But they're not going to be, and you have to go out and seek them. Um, right. It's, it's a time-consuming, challenging, often non-linear process. Right. Um, so for us in 2018, uh, we ran a, a national beta test. We did 100 users across the U.S. And, and just started shipping them things and, and getting video mm-hmm. calls with them and regular surveys to learn and talk to them. Um, and then also connecting with people locally as much as we could. We could actually have in-person interviews with them as well. And I think one thing to stress is that, you know, the, what you're trying, what I was trying to gain at that time was like an intuition and a feel for what was actually going on in someone's home, how mm-hmm. they actually felt about things. Not so much like a 80% of customers prefer yep. natural versus this and more like uh just a sense of what was going to fly in that household and not fly, <laughs> yeah. you know, and what would, what would hit home and really resonate, what would, t- what would actually get them over that incredibly high threshold where they'd walk over to their neighbor and be like, hey, I, I got something cool I think you should try. Um, yeah. And so those were the kind of lens I put on you know, talking to people and, and learning uh, from them. And one thing I learned is that they were a lot like me and they didn't know anything about law. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, you know, for us, one of the biggest uh, things we uncovered that helped define the path of Sunday uh, was that sure these products in the market now are, are really toxic and there's all these different challenges you have to go to the store and, and buy a spreader and the, the process is really antiquated um, but at the end of the day people are standing in that aisle and they're thinking to themselves I hope I'm not going to kill my lawn right their level of confidence is zero I mean there's no right. situation where you're thinking that way <laughs> buying a product um, and it, what that was heartbreaking for me is that in reality like even though it's a lawn and I get it, it's not a tomato garden, but it is still a living piece of land that you're caring for and you own. Yeah. Um, and it's incredibly rewarding when you do know what you're doing, you care for it, it gets healthier. It feels yeah. so good, like down in your DNA. So that was this to me, that was the tragic miss here. People were hoping they weren't going to kill this thing and feeling so, so little confidence they couldn't get any enjoyment out of it. Whereas there is actually this amazing experience they could be having. So and that's what we It's so funny that you said that because that is exactly why I started the sauces. Because there is so much joy and pleasure and self-actualization and all of the good feelings that you can get out of making a good meal. But there's mm-hmm. so much like fear and loathing and terror that you're going to kill someone. <laughs> you know, let's get to it. Um, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you built it. This episode is brought to you by Rancho Gordo. Over the past 19 years, Rancho Gordo has led the revival of heirloom beans, taking the lowly bean from a healthy but neglected member of the vegetable family to a near superstar status ingredient. From growing the best and most interesting beans available, 
to making sure all crops are fresh and a pleasure to cook with. Rancho Gordo's mission is to encourage cooks to experience and enjoy the unique flavors of heirloom beans. Rancho Gordo produces nearly 30 varieties of heirloom beans and lentils, as well as corn, grains, chilies, and other cooking ingredients. You can learn more at ranchogordo.com. That's R-A-N-C-H-O-G-O-R-D-O.com. I'm back with Coulter Lewis, founder and CEO of Sunday. Okay, so you 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 had this hunch, you basically tested out, you know, you 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 wanted to understand what people were feeling about their lawns, what they not necessarily like 10 out of 12, but like really understand how people were feeling and thinking about lawn care. What were what were a couple of the things that you felt like I must do when I start this company that I didn't know to do when we started Quinn, or um, this is something that I learned that, you know, I want to apply earlier now, you know, what were the must-haves and, and how did you think about sort of, okay, I'm going to start this new company and go. Um, a lot, (laughs) there are a lot of things I learned. Um, you know, I, I think I, uh, if, if I were to go all the way back and, and think about my mentality when, when we started Quinn, I think we had a sense, a feeling that if the product's amazing, everything else will just fall into place. Yeah. And, and really, if we focus on that, the rest of it was going was to find a way to work. Um, and I and I now know just how like tragic that idea is because it's probably killed so many incredible, incredibly good, potentially good businesses. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think this time around, I was really thinking through okay, the table stakes, the product needs to be amazing. We want to have an incredible experience, have great results. We need to achieve all of those things, but then we need to build the team and the business around that to actually support it and, and assume nothing's going to figure itself out. In fact, things are going to go worse than we planned. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so that was probably the biggest thing. And, and I think an offshoot of that would be hiring for my blind spots. Um, again, yeah. starting off at... At Queen, I, I was so excited to be an entrepreneur and so wanted to do this for so long that I, I imagined that every single piece, every single aspect or facet of doing that, of running a business, was to be something that I would just, um, I would love and and uh, excel at. And that's not true. Yeah. Uh, it know, it can't be true. Right? It can't be yeah. true. It's, funny it's not human. Right. Because when I sent you sort of like a draft about the questions, I didn't actually start with team. But then when I was looking over them before I, before, you know, we came on, I actually moved team up, up to the top. Um, Cause I've gotten so many questions lately about hiring and culture and, you know, what to outsource and, and what to spend for. And I think a lot of founders have a hard time because especially with like ops and sales, it's, you know, we're not ready to hire people that are truly experienced, but the people that aren't experienced, these are such specific skill sets. Um, it's like, it's challenging, you know, and so many questions about culture and what does that mean? Does that mean everyone's a family or does that mean that everyone has accountability and, and how it kind of varies, you know, from, from company to company. But I guess the first question is, um, you know, did you set out, I guess, I guess first question is like, did you set out, did you raise money to then go find a team to do this? Because 
you know, you would bootstrapping is just not the way to build this type of, you know, a direct to consumer lawn care company. And then assuming that you did, um, you know, what were the first hires and what were, what were you trying to solve for? And, you know, what was kind of critical in your eye? Yeah. Um, so I did raise money fairly early on. Um, and I think, uh, that's resulted lots of things. I'm, I'm definitely not in a position where I can fund it myself, although that would be nice someday. Um, right. And also, I think what you hinted at too, just looking at what we were trying to achieve when we were going after and how big the incumbents were, um, we knew we needed some horsepower and some speed in order to really um, get a foothold. Right. So that was from early on. That was that was the intent. Um, we lucky that we you know, also I think just to be totally transparent too, of, of having run a business before yeah. and having built up that network over 10 years, you know, I have people to talk to and people who sure. know who I am and how I work. And that's incredibly helpful in that process. Yeah. And there's no um, question that a second time founder is going to be better. I mean, honestly, like you're just going to make fewer mistakes. You're going to make some different mistakes. And and I yeah. don't think <laughs> when D to C from my understanding, it seems like it's a pretty straightforward grocery store that also yeah. has, you know, direct channel. Um, but this was, you, you, you went, you went into a different direction. So you, I'm sure that, you know, there's a, a lot of learning, but going back to sort of the team, you know, what were your, who, who were your first, you know, what were you trying to solve for immediately? Ops. Ops. Um, yeah. And so, um, I, I, I love the creative process. I love making things I like, uh, you know, all of the design and communication and brand and storytelling and um, all those parts of, the, of making the product and the business. Uh, but I now know um, that when it comes to the pragmatic work of getting a supply chain that's ready to scale at you know, some multiple you didn't expect and it's reliable and, and, you know, can can really chart toward the gross margin that makes sense and incredibly detailed work that goes into that, I'm not the right person. Right. Um, and so that was my first hire. It's someone who had uh, deep experience in ops and, and just you know, was everything that I, I'm not. basically. Yeah, it's funny because this comes up a lot too. I think people who listen to me regularly know that I care a lot about not just building like a flashy, pretty brand, but building a really good business. And that, you know, there's been a couple of years where the business wasn't kind of as important because I think especially with, you know, a lot of venture capital money kind of coming into the, you know, CPG world, the model was just, you know, spend a lot on Instagram, sell a lot, build that top line, you know, make the brand big. And then eventually, you know, we'll figure out the margins and figure out profitability. Um, and that is shifting. No question. Yeah. That that's um, but in a direct-to-consumer brand, you do need to come out of the gate strong and you do need, you know, you need those you those sales to go pretty quickly if you're going to kind of reach the litmus of, you know, where you, where you kind of need to be. Like, it, you can't be a slow-burning direct-to-consumer brand. It, it's just too expensive. Um, so it makes sense. But you also need a product that actually functions and that gets gets delivered to the customer on time and you know, like all that stuff. So were you also, while you were doing ops, were you also 
learning everything you could about kind of growth marketing and and how you know how to get people who've never heard of you on the internet trusting you to take care of their lawn and how did you do that? Um, yeah, and so so that's a good point. Before this initial first full time hire um, in the off seat. I have a lot of people I worked with, in, uh, you know, who were either made an investment or got some advisor shares or otherwise who were able to help get me up to speed on these kinds of things. Um, and so one person in particular uh, who came from a background in some of the most successful DC businesses out there, I had, you know, just a chance connection and, and they would get on a phone call. Um, and then he helped me build out our first year marketing plan. Um, oh, great. Vet out a different uh, <clears throat> potential um, yeah, consultants or, or basically Facebook buyers who could help us run the you know, initial campaigns and really learn what you can learn from them. Um, right. Not just, you know, what's going to get you the best result today, but what's going to help you create the right narrative for your first uh, year um, and the right, you know, proving the right points you need to prove for the business. So without that, I would have, there's no way I could have learned that from scratch. Or from right. Well, let's break that down a little bit because, <clears throat> sure. um, you know, we, we didn't start, doing Instagram or Facebook ads until Expo West got canceled. And we realized pretty quickly that demos were going to get canceled. So yeah. in March, we basically, you know, I called a few people. I'm like, who, how do we like do digital? Cause our whole strategy, we were launching in, you know, globally in whole foods in April. And our whole strategy was demos, all over the country. Um, and that basically went out the window in a day. And yeah. then we, you know, I didn't want to spend that whole budget because I was freaked out about the whole pandemic thing. <laughs> so we basically called this digital agency and we're like, you know, here's half that budget. You know, we need to get some sales in these places that have never heard of us, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and it's working um, and they're great, but there's also sort of like where, you know, if you think about marketing, there's like your own personal kind of organic newsletters and Instagram and any sort of partnerships that you do or influencers that you work with. And then there's kind of, you, you probably don't have this as much because I don't know if you're, are you on retail shelves yet or no? We're not, no. Right. So then if you're, you know, if you're a product that is, then you have like the circular and the yellow tag and the promotions and you know, all these, you know, this is like your old world. Um, yep. And then you have this kind of like weird outer sphere of ads that people are seeing and, and search optimization and, and just this whole other universe that is kind of foreign to grocery products, but very much the world of the direct to consumer product world. And so you had to learn all of that basically. I mean, pretty quickly. And it's all very counterintuitive too. It's, I think um, there's definitely grass is greener. We're going to have lots of puns. It's just part of running a right. <laughs> company, but um, syndrome here, we're you know, coming from, from retail and I would spend a lot of time in the trenches there and paying X thousands of dollars just to get into some circular coupon book. Right. Um, you, know, you, you definitely build up some frustration over that. Uh, but in reality, you know, the world we're in now has some version of that too. Um, right. It's challenging also. It's the well, nice yeah, thing about it. 
it isn't necessarily a slotting fee, but paying for, you know, an agency to manage your Instacart, you know, keywords, that's basically trade spend, right? It's just a different way to look at it in a different channel, you know? It is. Yeah. And I think what it made me appreciate making that switch is that all of the eyeballs, once people are in the store, assuming you're not getting some sort of promotion at that time, you're free. Um, right. And that's, you know, that's amazing. You paid a lot to get there. I'm sure, you know, in most cases that, that's true. Um, but, uh, but it's an incredibly large billboard. If you think about the scale okay. of it as a whole across a large chain like Whole Foods. Um, and there, there kind of aren't a whole lot of free views on the internet. Um, you know, a right. lot of it is paid. Uh, yeah. You can build the organic side of the business, traffic side, but it just takes time. Um, right. And I think when you're saying like your email list and your Instagram account, those sort of things, those are immensely valuable. You know, I've, I've come to appreciate just how, how much value there is in having those audiences. Well, and then, and you, and what's cool about what you've done is like, you need your product. Well, okay. But yeah. Okay. I want to do this. And then I really want to get to the branding, but you do need your product on a regular basis. It's not like a one and done. So it may, you know, that subscription model is amazing. And obviously that is the way to build up consumer loyalty and your family and your mailing list and your community and all of that. Um, but what do you do? What do people do assuming that they're not year round? Like I, I was just kind of thinking like you don't necessarily need lawn care in the depth of winter or do you like how, how did you guys kind of, how do you yeah. guys, business that's i guess sort of seasonal in some that's that's how our you know our business and payment structure is, is pretty unique because of that challenge um in reality you know if we're charging someone x dollars a month in december in the northeast you know they're going to cancel and right. they should um there, there's no value you can offer them at that time uh, and so the way we structured our um, payment because of that is that people pay for a season at a time um ah. and so Basically, when we run the, the analysis on their climate and their soil, we actually then, behind the scenes, we're actually um, modeling grass growth and, and when it's in stress and when it's in dormancy. And so we know the exact season length, exactly how much you need. So your pricing is based on that. Um, and you pay up front for that, for that full season. And the next year, you pay up front again for the next season. Right. So we're not, you know, in that way, the challenge is that there's a much higher barrier to entry, um, something you haven't tried before, um, but you are still avoiding that monthly fee and, and that, the challenge around off-season. Right. So, so let's talk a little bit about your font <laughs> and um, you're in these adorable rainbow pouches, which, you know, I obviously love a rainbow pouch. If you've seen our sauces, they're in little happy pouches. And yes, what you, said, you said something at the beginning that was really interesting to me because it also reminded me of us, um, you know, in the sense that it's one thing to get people to switch from the big plastic bottle, you know, on the shelf to the, to the one next to it, that would be a better for you version of what's out there. But you, you, like you said, you ripped up all of the things. It doesn't look like other lawn care. It doesn't get sold to you like other lawn care. It, it, it doesn't read almost like lawn care, the way that, the way that people are used to thinking about it. And that's, that's uh, uh, again, like very similar, like we, people are confused by 
what to do with our sauce, even though they understand sauce, but they just don't, they've never seen it in the refrigerator in a pouch. So it's like they, they're, like you said, there are all these different variables that you're trying to teach at the same time. And you only have so much of their attention and you only have so much time to do it. So how did you break down? Like, clearly you made the decision to just to, to do all of the things at the same time. And I'm kind of curious about how you, how, I mean, you, you clearly strategized how to educate your consumer and talk about your brand with them. And I guess I'm just kind of curious, like how you thought about it, what any advice you got that was particularly helpful. And of course, like, you know, deciding to put, it in this adorable pouch with this happy font, you know, tell me the story about the branding journey. Sure. Um, so the kind of the, how do you do all the changes at once and, 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 you know, go from step A to step Z for the consumer rather than taking small steps. Um, you know, I think in our case, I just didn't really see another path. I don't think it's ideal to do it that way. Um, like changing too many variables at once. We should do this in retail as opposed to direct, or that wasn't even a. So the reason why we didn't, we didn't. So retail is something I'm familiar with and, and more comfortable with, to be totally honest. And the reason why um, we ended up being direct consumer wasn't really around business economics. It was more around the our desire to make it based on your data and do ag tech for your backyard. Got it. Um, right. So we really couldn't do that on shelf. I mean, just to give an example that every one of our customer gets a soil test in their first kit and they send us their soil back and we run it through an analysis. So we have by far the largest database of residential soil in the U S. Right. Um, and so that's the kind of business that we really wanted to run. And I just didn't see, um, you know, I think we needed a strong direct consumer component in order to build that foundation. Um, Got it. and so that's what, that's, what, that's kind of how direct consumer became, um, you know, the, the, the channel for us. I will say one thing, just just kind of going back a little bit to our discussion around paid marketing uh, for direct consumer business. Yep. You know, one of the challenges for sure, I just want to put this out there for people are listening and thinking about you know, their product on the shelf and direct uh, marketing, is that um, when you have a subscription business and you understand your customers' economics and how often they stay around, for how long they stay around, that kind of thing, uh, you can justify a spend to build awareness to bring that customer on board. Um, and that's you know that that kind of very tight um, loop in your financial model is why you see a lot of businesses that are moving towards subscription because it, right. it gives them a platform through which they can invest more to build awareness and, and growth through those channels. Right. Um, and it's also fueled an incredible increase in the pricing of, of all of those marketing channels. So, yeah. um, you know, those are things I did not know when, when I was figuring right. this out, um, but I, I know very clearly now. Um, and um, so yeah, so we, we, we chose to direct consumer because it served the mission and the product experience we wanted to to create. Um, and, and does any is that is everyone who buys Sunday do do you have their sample of their soil or is it possible to just buy what you think you need? You know, can can someone just buy? So you can't you can't buy what you think you need. Yeah, that's right. this is another um, kind of unique take. Um, and I, I really believe this is maybe, a, 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 we didn't invent this at all, but I, I, I see this as a developing kind of new version of e-commerce or new um, new offshoot or, or maybe even the future of e-commerce where I think for a long time it was convenience and cost. Like I buy online because I don't have to go to the store and, and I might have mm-hmm. saved a couple of dollars. Um, those are really, really basic needs. Right. 
Um, and I think with Stitch Fix, you started to see like, I would go to, to the mall, but I need more help. So I'm going to go online to Stitch Fix. That's a wild idea that you're going to, you're going to eschew going in person and go online to get more expert help. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, but that's exactly what we're trying to build with Sunday too. It's this idea that um, you come to us because we don't make you choose what you need. We already know. Um, and when you go through our funnel, like we check out your plan page and the things we think you should use throughout the season, um, there's no ability to edit that or, or adjust it. It's, it's, right. it's what it is, what it's, it is. So um, I think eliminating choice is actually one of the greatest services we give to our customers. Yeah. Well, I'm curious also, I mean, one of the things like as we're, we're starting to build out like our direct to consumer platform. But one of the things that is interesting now that I've sort of seen behind the, you know, the, the odds thing is just how, um, you know, I, I guess templated the, you know, oops, looks like you left this in your cart or like, <laughs> yeah. for, you know, thanks for buying this. Hey, did you know, you know, that, that it's all automated a, eh? and, and that makes sense, but there, there's a pretty straightforward formula to it. Um, and I would imagine that you do get some drop-offs, right? Like someone goes on, they think they can buy this like happy pouch, then they have to send a sample of some sort. Um, so you had to build in probably a way to just make those people on one hand, yes, you're eliminating choice, but on the other hand, you're creating another barrier to buying it. Right. For they sure. Have- yeah. You, you're definitely, I mean, you, um, it's an optimization thing, I guess, if you want to use the most heartless term I can think of, but, right. um, I think if you're, if you're trying to do something that's really unique and really different, um, you've got to let some people not like it. Um, yeah. and I think I can't, I can't think of a more direct, uh, case of that than making sauces yeah. <laughs> and kind of going all the way sometimes, even though, you know, that might be too much for, for some portion. Yeah. Of that. Well, I always think about Marmite. Um, you know, it's like some people are just not going to eat it, but the people that love it, love it. And nobody is going to take it off their shelves if they have enough people that are loving it, even if it's, you know, cause there's nothing to replace it, you know? Um, and, and yep. you know, you don't want to, you don't want a brand that people are indifferent about, you know, that's, that's not usually a good, a good way to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> And are you guys on Amazon or no? We are not, no. Again, similarly, because you really need everyone to be completely connected in with you. They can't just buy a product. Yes. You know, I think there's there's logic to selling through a channel like that to have, um, you know, a lower grade entry so they can experience some small piece of the brand and then come on and, and really get the whole thing. Right. Um, but um you know, and own door, they can we can start to move in the direction of them being able to just fully service themselves. People have more more kind of know how and can navigate it better themselves through products on that site. Um, I think for right now we have we have an amazing thing with our customers and our customer um, yeah you know, experience that we support here. You know, one thing to mention that you were talking about kind of building this from scratch and this thing that maybe didn't fit everyone. People drop off. Um, you know, our our. I guess if you'd asked me last January, February, what I was most nervous about, it was about being able to build an incredible customer service team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, it's like, this isn't, you know, this thing didn't fit me. I need to send it back. It's like, I have a dead spot on my lawn here. What caused this? You know? right. And these are, these are actually agricultural questions. They're very complex. And so, um, you know, it, it was, uh, it was 
nerve wracking for me to imagine that coming to light and having a team here that could actually support our customers through that full experience. Right. Um, but we did it and it's amazing to watch. I mean, you know, 28 year old, 25 year old customer service people here who are, um, you know, love the mission, love what we're going after. And you hear them on the phone, they're like, well, you know, it's been 90 degrees uh, in August, four, four out of five days, and it's probably heat stress because you have Kentucky bluegrass, and that stress is wow. pretty bad. They know their stuff, you know, it's so awesome. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, customer service has come up a lot too. I, it was, I, was, I was talking to Steve from Olipop, and he was saying that, you know, customer service is such a great marketing channel and people don't think of it that way. You know, they just think of it as like, oh, I have to deal with people that are like complaining about whatever. But the reality is, is that if you if you do answer, if someone is taking the energy and the time to call you and ask for help and you give them good help, you, they're yours. Right. They're they're yeah. part of your community for the long haul. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about you launched formally in 2019. Correct. And I mean, you've grown uh, like a lot. I mean, it, has it been, you did, did you expect to, to do as well as you've been doing or what, like, did this just kind of blow your forecast out of the water and how did you, like, I know it's a ridiculous question. Like, how did you do that? But like, <laughs> you know, you got, you got traction really, really fast and you made, you made an impact pretty fast. And I do think some of it obviously is, is what you're offering. It's different and it's special and it's wonderful, but there is this brand piece too. Like, did you know that you had something special and, and what were the first indications that this was really taking off, I guess? Um, and I know it's something really special. It's an interesting question. I feel like I've asked that question to other people a lot of times when I was trying to get through nerves of my own. Um, and I think I um, uh, I think I question that every day. You know, I, I want I want what we do to be better, and, and there's always facets and issues and parts of it that you're like, oh my gosh, we're really not nearly succeeding what we could do in this part of the business, this part of the experience. We're failing these customers in this way. So for me, I, I think my maybe one of my challenges. I'm not a great celebrator, and I really focus on the areas where we can be better. Um, so I don't think I had a moment where I was like, oh, you know, we've got it. That's maybe never going to happen. Yeah, um, I don't think that ever happens. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think it's, it's, uh, I, I mean, I imagine that happening one day and it sounds great, but um, <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure it will. Um, but I will say, so I think, um, I think we did a lot of, I'm very used to like having a concept and, and you start to get it more in the wild and you learn a lot from people and you redirect and you're really in, in the learning phase for the first period of the business. Um, and I think what's, what's phenomenal here and really unusual is that I look back on you know, now a year and a half ago when we shipped our first boxes. Um, and I, I don't think we got it wrong. You know, I, I think we amazingly, you know, of the 10 different directions we could have taken different branding, whatever else we could have done. I feel really good about where we started and, and it's where we are today. And I think that that lucky, I mean, I'll, I'll say some of that's because we were really thoughtful about the design research, everything else and some of it's just lucky. Um, but being able to stay in point in the same direction certainly helps, um, us move faster. Yep. We didn't have to re redirect. Um, uh, We've had an amazing team, um, and like you know, through this year, for example, you know, with the um, global pandemic and supply chain issues that are unbelievable, we were able to still beat plan, um, you know, almost two x plan, and the ops team like just 
got it done. We just yeah. barely hand to mouth a lot of times, but but we're able to keep moving. Um, and that's one of those moments where this thing of ops, which is you know yeah. I think sometimes not given the attention it needs. Um, if that wasn't running incredibly well this year, we would we would be in a very very different place. Of business. I know so, it's really it's so there was just this really good article in Bloomberg about you know blands basically just like all these brands that kind of look and feel the same and. I just think it's such an interesting time to really be looking behind, you know, the pretty packaging and the quirky founder story and like the cute font. You know, I love a font as much as X gal, but if there isn't a solid business behind it, it's going to be really hard. Um, and if you're not going to figure out a way to make money like pretty quickly, it's going to be really hard and it's not scale. You know, it, you can't just, you can't just catch up when you sell a lot because you're going to lose a lot along the way. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think there's, I, I guess maybe what, what I just subconscious sometimes is that I think there's an entrepreneurial story that's told that's not accurate. And I think it's actually kind of dangerous people who are just starting out and this idea that, um, you know, we, we made this thing um, and it was a challenge at first, but uh, then this thing happened and it just took off. And it's yeah. this, incredibly oversimplified version that talks just about the product uh, and not about all of the systems and people required to make all of that actually happen. Um, and so I, I think I suffered from that a little bit early on in, at, at Quinn of not recognizing the full complexity um, and all the things that you bring to bear and actually you know, facilitate so, that path. So, so that's actually a really good kind of last couple of questions, which is what do you wish you had known? You know, how did you what would you say are, you know, a couple things to early stage founders, like speak to yourself and your wife when you started Quinn, you know, what would you advise people to think about that they might not be or something that might save them some time and money or anguish down the road that, that you know, you've had the chance to kind of do it again, um, you know, that, that you would do differently. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I I think for sure the things that hit on me for like it needs to be better than a great product. It needs to be more than that. Um, it needs to be all the things that support that and build awareness. I think the idea that just because it's great, we're going to talk about it, isn't a real thing. It needs you need to have facilitate those conversations, the spread the spreading of the awareness of the brand, um, but then obviously all the underpinnings of financial operations to make it all work. I think all of that has to happen. Um, but I, I think the reason Quinn is, is what it is today and, and is able to have gotten through a really long history of, of, of you know, of growth, but certainly challenging times too, is just um, not quitting mm -hmm. when the smartest thing to do was quit. <laughs> um, and I think we, I had a lot of those moments and honestly, like maybe if it weren't for, again, my wife being just, just having, so much spine and so much, so much grit. Uh, maybe I would have, but um, just there are definitely moments where it's like definitely the most logical thing to do right now is to walk away from this. This has just <laughs> gotten to a point where that's what we got to do, um, and we didn't. And that, that's, I mean, I think above all else, that's what makes businesses succeed. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think it's a great way to, you know, to finish up. Um, I mean, you've built something amazing. I can't wait to see where it goes. Kind of makes me wish I had a lawn. <laughs> which, um, Coulter, thank you so much for coming on and um, good luck 
And uh, for all of you listeners, thank you guys for continuing to listen and DM me. And um, we have a bunch of fun guests coming on. I have guests booked through the end of the year. It's kind of crazy. Um, so we'll just keep having new episodes. So thank you for listening, Coulter. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Allie. We appreciate it. Jess, thank you for engineering. <laughs> um, and I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.